Welcome to the Why Woman Podcast Show, a dynamic way for you to get the life and business success tips from industry leaders around the world who have been there and done that and are walking their walk. We know you're busy, so it's a fluff and puff-free zone so you get what you need to succeed quickly so you can implement it straight away. Your hosts today are Why Woman Shah Moore and Rani Pathaks. Warning women with weak bladders should not listen to our show, okay? Or don't operate heavy machinery. You've been warned, darlings. Let's go. Today's guest, Robert Currie, is a number one best-selling author and reality TV pilot host. Welcome to our show, Rob. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. Before we get started, I just want our listeners to really understand who you are and what you've achieved so far. So Robert Curry, MBA, is a number one best-selling author and reality TV pilot host. The Huffington Post called Rob one of the most influential online marketers across the globe. Rob was recently listed by Startup Australia as one of Australia's top 50 entrepreneurs. He's built a super responsive global online community of serious business owners, almost broke the world record for the most number of people in a webinar, filled up dozens of live events, been featured extensively in the media, launched three best-selling books and signed a reality TV show deal with Hollywood. Robert has an MBA from Macquarie Graduate School of Management and a Bachelor of Computer Science from Macquarie University. A fun fact about Rob, he once sold 800 dog parts in 24 hours using email marketing. Can't wait to chat about that. (laughs) And it doesn't matter which industry you're working in. Marketing is all about finding a starving crowd and then feeding it what it wants. Rob was the co-founder of Punky's World High Five Day. With no marketing budget, he organised for thousands of people across four continents to give one another high fives. And the Facebook following quickly grew to over 130,000 fans. Rob, that is hilarious. It was a big event and uh, we only decided to do that one just two weeks before the actual date was meant to happen. So it was, yeah, it was a lot of fun and it was a, a lot of hard work at the same time. That would have been so cool to have that happening around the world. What an, what an innovative and fun idea. The, the most random thing about it was my dad was in Parramatta, which is a city uh, here in Sydney, and he went to the post office to post something that day and someone offered to give him a high five <laughs> random out of the blue. <laughs> so it was, it was quite good that uh, we were able to get the message out that far and wide. Oh, that's brilliant. Rob, look, being the Why Woman, and this is the Why Woman podcast show after all, the first question I would love to ask you, and I know a lot of our listeners love when I ask this question and we get some great feedback on it because it really does boil down to, uh, as you and I have talked about a number of times, is why do we actually do what we do? So if you could share why you do what you do and how do you think it impacts the world in a positive way? Yes, essentially I've got a marketing agency that does really good campaigns for clients. And we're very selective about the clients that we take on. We only take on people who are doing good in the world and make a measurable difference to their clients. So what we find is that when we do our job well and we help get their message out there and and help them really spread their reach, they're helping people as well as as a secondary effect. So we feel that the better we can do our job, um, the more lives we can impact directly, which is great. 
And that creates that ripple effect, doesn't it, Rob? And you've you've given people a vehicle, and uh, and we're going to drill down a bit into marketing, and you know your topic today being the one about feeding a starving crowd. It's it's all about creating that ripple effect, and and with what you and your team do, it's it's enabling people to get their message out there to a bigger scale because a lot of entrepreneurs love what they do and they're so passionate about it. Often they don't know how to reach those crowds. So I guess that's what you and your team really strive to do on a daily basis. Absolutely. And like the people that we normally partner with and work with as clients are people who are at the very best in their field. So these guys are just fantastic at what they do and are subject matter experts. Hmm. But what they're not experts at is marketing. Hmm. And so they'll have these brilliant messages. They'll, when they meet people and they, they bring people into their world, they're able to impact them at a very high level. But the challenge they have is that how do they get the message out there? How do they make sales? Because, I mean, hmm. yeah, absolutely it's important to impact people, but the business needs cash to be able hmm. to do that. <laughs> so That's right. they need to be able to convert and, and make sales at the same time as well. Definitely. Now, Rob, just going back a few steps, I guess, before we get into, you know, what you do and, and, and how it actually works, but just going back a few steps, can you just sort of share with our listeners today a little bit about your business journey, how you kind of got into then now having your own business and and maybe a, a few of the sort of pitfalls and, you know, a lot of people that we, uh, we talk to, and I guess you would meet people like this as well, they look at where all of the successful entrepreneurs are today and they kind of go, oh, it's okay for you. But as you and I both know, the entrepreneurial journey is so up and down. So maybe just kind of tell us a little bit about your journey, but also some of the things that were tough for you as you were on that journey. Sure. So I started my first business when I was 16. I ran a DJ business and I put an ad in the yellow paper to, um, or the yellow pages, I mean, to uh, get more gigs. Mm. And as a 16-year-old, I put down $1,000 on a really big ad. And most of my friends were earning, you know, $5 an hour, $7 an hour stacking shelves in the supermarkets. That's that's like a month's work Mm. to put this ad in the paper. And that wasn't really for me anyway, like doing five dollar an hour work or seven dollar an hour work. I just thought it was boring and it just didn't pay enough. <laughs> so I, I put the ad in the paper and I, I justified to myself, I said if I had to get four bookings out of this, then that means it pays for itself because I was charging two hundred and fifty dollars for a booking. Anyway, so I put the ad in and lo and behold, the week after it came out I got my first call. And you know, I made the sale on the phone. I thought, this is amazing. I just wrote some things down on a piece of paper. The advertising person put it in the yellow pages. Someone called me from across town and hired me to work. <laughs> like, this is just phenomenal. Like, I love this. This is so good. And I want to do. I want to get better at this. So ever since then, I was 16, I've been a student of marketing and working out how to do this on bigger and bigger scales. And the, the funny thing is, like, even though, you know, now I'm doing campaigns that are worth hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars. But back then, like even like even still now, like if we put a new campaign online and we get our first sale from that campaign, it's still exciting. It's still exciting. Like, it's, still, <laughs> it's still exciting. So I love that. I just love that you can communicate um, with people like you know that you've never met before and just mm. by writing really good words on the page or having a really good video and connecting with that person that mm. you're able to make an impact. Um, so to cut a long story short, I went to university, um, got my MBA as well, uh, went through the corporate world for probably eight or nine years, did really well there, 
And then I started my own business, my first one, which was a video production business in 2010, and that was a failure. So, <laughs> um, you know, we've all had failures. <laughs> uh, that one, we, uh, I quit my good corporate job that was earning six figures, and I had a corporate card and a corporate car and, you know, overseas holidays, all that good stuff. I uh, thought I'd be really smart, start um, my own business. Yep, we made, it was myself and Diana, we both worked full-time in the business, so we made $32,000 in sales in year one. Oh, no. Um, but our expenses were $32,500. <laughs> so we lost 500 bucks that year. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but I, I like to think of the positive, and hmm. the positive of that year is that we did have to pay tax. <laughs> and you got to spend the year together. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> a lot of hours in, in front of um, you know, meeting oh. clients and being on the computer. So I joined a marketing agency after that in a, in a senior executive role. That was eWeb Marketing mm. and had a really good um, three years with them. So did some amazing campaigns, uh, signed up some great clients and – that's when I wrote my book, Feed a Starving mm. Crowd, just to document a lot of those amazing campaigns I ran while I was there. And now, uh, now I've got the Feed a Starving Crowd agency, so it's mm. it's my own agency and, and we do fantastic campaigns for clients. Fantastic. And you talk about, you know, the year that, that was you lost money and, and all the rest of it. You know, what would be some of the common lies and myths that you think uh, entrepreneurs out there are believing today about achieving success? Because, you know, they, as I said, you know, people look at that, that funny picture that goes around about, you know, the journey to success is this beautiful straight upwards arrow. And anyone who's in business as, as an entrepreneur goes, oh, no, 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 it's squiggly and it's up and down and it's backwards and forwards. So what do you think are some of the myths that you hear out there and, and what would you say about those? Yeah, look, I think a lot of people look at um, just gross revenue mm -hmm. and so they'll look at a business and say, oh, they made a million dollars last year. Or you might hear like an internet marketing launch. It's like, we did a $100,000 launch. Mm. Well, and I think that there's not a real big focus on net or mm -hmm. profit. Um, so like where net income is where it's really at. Mm. There's... Yeah, there's, there's no real point in having a $10 million business if those $10 million go straight out of expenses because you just got a very complex and, and large business mm. but it's not really serving you as the shareholder or the owner of the business. Mm. So that's that's one of the biggest misconceptions that I see. So everyone's kind of focused on gross revenue and, and gross numbers but not those net profit after tax and after mm. expenses and things like that. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's that's very true actually and it's it's easy for, you know, as a marketing spinner, I guess, for people to say I made X amount of money overnight. What did it cost them to make that? Uh, and that's, you know, and I think, I think you'd probably agree with this, especially with all the marketing campaigns you would see out there and the ones that you manage yourself, which is so different and obviously works so well, is I think the people out there in the marketplace are getting a little bit sick of the smoke and mirrors. You know, I did this, be a millionaire by Friday, five o'clock, those kinds of things. Are people people are really starting to get sick of that unrealistic expectation because it's not something that is actually true, as you said. That's probably gross numbers, not niche. And we all know that it takes time. There's no Band-Aid to success because we all have to go on that journey and the lessons we learn when we fail are as important as the lessons we learn when we succeed. Yeah, and as your business grows, you need to grow as a person. So you need to be a very different person at a $1 million business. So zero to $100,000 is a different person to a $1 million mm. business. A different person needs to be when it's a $10 million business. Mm. Um, because you know you're going to have different challenges, mm. and you're going to. Uh, and the, the the long and short of it is that 
you actually need to become a tougher person. Mm. Um, you need to be able to be more resilient and be able mm. to handle more things because mm. just by the law of averages, um, if you've got if you've got a hundred, if you've got a ten million dollar business, and you've got a hundred staff now. Well, there's going to be more issues that come up. That's just mm-hmm. you're dealing with human beings. That's the way that it works. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, but in many ways, it's actually I've found it. So I've worked at all ends of the spectrum. I've worked in big corporate. I've worked mm-hmm. in medium business, small business, my own business. I've actually found that business is, is easier. It might sound really crazy, but I find that business is actually easier to run when it's doing a few million dollars or more mm-hmm. than it is in those you know that zero to a hundred thousand dollar range. And the reason is because you've got staff to do a lot of things mm. for you, mm. and it's a bit more systematized. You've got a bit more revenue. Um, you've got you know you've got a bit more funds there to invest in different projects. Mm-hmm. So it's a great aspiration to have a, a multi-million dollar business, and mm. it's, it's kind of weird, but it does get easier to manage as as it gets bigger. Well, that, that's a good point, actually. And the, one of the questions I was I was just thinking of when you were saying that was, at what point at what point do you think business owners should look at uh, or consider engaging a staff member? Because you know they get scared of oh, I've got to have all these fixed cost of a staff member and and the superannuation and all those other costs, whether it be a, a real live person here or a virtual staff member. At what point do you do that? Because I guess those staff members are going to bring on their own skill set, and if they're really good at what they do they should be covering themselves with the business or whatever they're bringing into the company so at what point do you kind of go I really have to stop being everything in my business because none of us can do everything well at what point do we engage either a staff member or a firm like yourselves to come and help yeah well really um the the first hire should be an assistant so Mm -hmm. that's that's um and I mean there's some very very switched on people in the Philippines now like it's Mm -hmm. not the old the old school days where you pay them three dollars an hour and yes. you know got no idea. And, you no. Know, I think a lot of people have those nightmares of yeah. what it's like. But you know, you've got an assistant um, that that's overseas based and and they're fantastic. They're amazing. Yeah. Um, re- really switched on. Like you wouldn't, and they communicate by email, so you wouldn't know where they are in the world. That's right. mm. um, and so you know, it doesn't have to cut, co- and you don't have to get them full time either. Like so, for mm. you know. Let's call it five or ten dollars an hour mm. um, for someone that's really good um, overseas based. Well, you might just get them for five hours a week or ten mm. hours a week to start with. So that's, you know, I mean, if your business can't afford a hundred dollars a week to get some of those low hanging mm. fruit admin tasks off your plate, then you know you've really got to look at things, haven't you, yes. and make sure that you're in the right business to start with. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then you, you probably want to move them to full time as soon as you can, so you've got kind of on call access, and then. Yeah, a really good role in the business is is a general manager. That should be one of your mm. first real hires um, as a local employee, um, whether that's or you know like as a as a more senior level employee, because um, that has been a huge thing in all the businesses that I've run. So when I've as soon as I've put in that general manager who can handle most of the day to day stuff, that really frees you up as the owner to, mm. to take things to the next level. Mm-hmm. Excellent. No, that's some really, really good advice. And I think you're right that it's at some point you have to look and say, okay, there's only so far I can grow this. And it, one, it comes back to time. But two, as I said earlier, and, and you've reiterated, it's about we can't manage everything ourselves. So it's it's really good to get that yeah. support. And Rob, if you could look back, I guess, on your business so far, what would be one of the worst business decisions you made? And, and it's always 2020 vision in hindsight. But now you can look at it and go, that wasn't a good decision decision and maybe how did you recover from it? Yeah, well, I think I spoke about it briefly earlier, but mm. I believe starting up that video business was mm. not a great idea. And the reason why it wasn't was because we started in 2010. 
Mm-hmm. And 2010, YouTube was only a couple of years old, mm-hmm. and we thought that we were going to be smart and get in on the new trend. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, this is the new trend. Every business needs online video. Um, we, we can produce it at a good rate. Mm-hmm. Then we can sell it for a high cost, and we can make a great margin in the middle. Like, we we're going to produce them for, like, $1,000 and then sell them for $5,000. So we're mm-hmm. like, oh, we're going to make $4,000 profit every time we do one of these. <laughs> you know, and if we just sell... You know, 20 videos a month, that's like a million-dollar business. That's easy. And, you know, <laughs> we laugh about it now. Yeah. Um, but at the time, it felt realistic and, and achievable. <laughs> and then we didn't realize that, well, firstly, when you sell the 20, you know, it's not that easy to sell one video to start mm. with because most business owners might have paid like $1,000 for the whole website or $2,000 yes. for the whole website. Now we're asking to pay 5000 for like a little video in the middle of the site. So, <laughs> so that we had, you know, unrealistic expectations and mm. it wasn't a starving crowd like people no, didn't come to us and say hey we need you to make videos for us mm. we always had to go and, and hit the pavement and really try and um, persuade people and encourage them to do it and mm. educate the market I mean if you're Microsoft and you've got a billion dollar marketing budget mm. that's great you can afford to educate the market you can run billboards and TV commercials and things like that but for us small business owners like my mm. goodness that's just mm. not going to happen no no, that's right. Yeah, very good point. Very good point. So what's been one of your best marketing strategies that either you've used personally in your business or you've helped a client use that you could share with our audience? Yeah, we find that our default strategy and the first one we nearly always go to every single time is Facebook ads. Mm-hmm. Um, just because they're just, I don't know what it is, but people are spending a ridiculous amount of time on Facebook now. Mm. Like even if there's corporate employees and then the, the corporate policy is you can't use Facebook during mm. business hours, well, you know what, they've got a mobile phone with Facebook Absolutely. on it. Absolutely. You, you can't control that. <laughs> they go to the toilet for longer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, they go to a coffee break every couple of hours or hour now. So you know, people are on Facebook all day and there's just a phenomenal amount of opportunity for traffic on that platform. And so if you do the ads well, they're, they're still reasonably inexpensive. Um, they're very easy to set up and they get very good results for most clients. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the default go-to strategy that we're using at the mm-hmm. moment. Now, mm-hmm. in saying that, a lot of clients need a lot more volume than just Facebook can do. We yes. want you know, literally like dozens and dozens of other strategies, but that's the default one we go to. Mm. And that's interesting because, you know, it is the talk of the town and it's so much cheaper than, than the Google AdWords and other campaigns out there. And I guess that, you know, some clients and I guess some of our listeners have probably tried this. Sometimes I've noticed on, on Facebook, and you guys would definitely know which, which one's the right way and not, they're taking people that are cold, that have no relationship with them, straight from an ad to a, to a quite high product, paid product, and they're wondering why they're not getting the result so it's it's yes. going to be a similar process isn't it you still need to build trust in a relationship so take them possibly from an ad to a free report or checklist or download or video series or something let them get to know love and and, and trust you and then lead them through the sales funnel would that be what you guys would suggest as well yeah definitely like and you just got to think about it so like you mentioned like you got to think about it how would you do things yourself on the internet mm. so i know for a matter of fact if I'm on Facebook and I click on an ad, I'm not going to pull up my credit card and buy something for a thousand bucks. You know, after I click on an ad and just read read something on a page, it's just not going to happen. Mm. <laughs> so no. why, why would we expect other people to do the same thing? Mm. Like it's just not realistic. So mm. I always like to think about how I would like things to happen and what I would personally respond to mm-hmm. uh, when I'm designing these types of funnels for clients. Because you know, you just need to be realistic about these things. Mm. 
Yeah, that's and very there's other ones where it's like, you know, you, you get something for free, like they might say, hey, download this free ebook or whatever. Then on the thank you page, they hit you up this hard sell mm. one-time offer for the next three minutes only or, or whatever. And it's like, look, that person still doesn't know you. You know, you just, all they wanted to get was that ebook mm. at this stage. So that, why don't you, you know, encourage them to read Nurture the ebook them. and learn more mm. about you. And then, like, I just think that we're, you know, we're going for the sale just far too quickly these mm. days. We need to mm. just calm down a bit and make sure that people know who we are before we push too hard. Mm. And it's still the same philosophy like it used to be, you know, touching a buyer, what do they say, five to seven times uh, and build that relationship. And that, that I guess, is what you guys do so well is build that nurturing uh, nurturing sequence, whether it be an email sequence or a phone sequence or whatever. It is still like the dating game. And I know we've uh, you and I both know Phil who specialises with Facebook. He talks about you don't meet someone for the first time and jump straight into bed. He said you've got to go on that court relationship take them out on dates and woo them and we need to take that same philosophy onto into the online world as well it's the same thing yeah it's exactly the same thing exactly mm. the same thing mm. excellent okay so look I've got Rani sitting in front of me here and uh, she's got a couple of questions she'd like to ask you so just bear with me while I put her on I'll look out Oh, Rani Patak's here, darling. Can I call you darling or Rob or Rob darling? Um, I prefer darling. Darling, okay, darling. Did you both know that we both do the same thing? Do we? Yes, yes, because we both feed starving crowds. Mine oh, is all do. oh mine is all my family and my in-laws and the hangers-on that keep coming over for my beautiful curry. So we're doing the same thing, no? Oh well I've never been invited um oh. one of your curries. Oh darling, I will I will come and cook curry. So tell me what is the best way I can feed my starving crowd? Uh put more Indian spices into the recipe, make it hotter. Oh you think that maybe turn them off, make it too hot and they stop coming? Uh you know what? Sometimes a starving crowd isn't always the best outcome either. So, you know, you might want to have more spices and have a high quality crowd that comes along. Oh, I like that. Less people. Very good. I like the strategy. So, darling, tell me, I'm curious about the 800 dog bath you sold because I have 400 spare chapati makers I ordered online by mistake. What can you suggest I do with them? Um, I think you should put a post on Facebook with a photo of them and Ooh. have a open slather garage sale. Oh, really? Yeah, you'd get a lot of people that would come. A lot of people just go to the supermarket and buy the chapati in the plastic bag with a little chemical packet. Nobody makes fresh anymore, darling. What is going on in the world today? Oh, look, we need to get a Facebook campaign organised for you. That would that would solve all your problems. Oh, I tell you, we have no room to put anything. Raj and my husband keep complaining that chapati makers sitting in the boxes all in the living room. He cannot watch his cricket. He gets angry with me, darling. Oh, well, that means um, you might need a bigger house. Oh, I like the way you're thinking. Yes, very good. We sell the chapati makers, we buy a bigger place. Love it. So tell me, darling, what curry do you like to eat? Uh, butter chicken. Butter chicken. You like it hot? 
very hot. Oh, you like it hot, eh, darling? Very good. I'll come and cook for you and your beautiful wife. And I'm going to thinking about starting my own Rani Pataks cooking show. You think I can become reality TV host like you? Oh, you would be amazing. If oh. you did that, it would probably reduce the ratings from my show. So, oh. you know, there's a bit of competition there. I give you a run for your money, huh? I reckon you would. I think I would. So tell me, what is one of the funniest moments in your business? The funniest moment was when we sold those dog bars that you were talking about before. I didn't think that we were going to be able to do it, but we got there um, and we did it really fast. So I couldn't believe that people wanted to buy that many dog bars. Oh, that is so funny. There's a lot of people who love their fur babies, no? There is. I had no idea. And, Whoa. I mean, that's a lot of dog bars, 800. That is a lot. lot. That have dogs. So what is your campaign? You put the picture of the dog in the bath on the internet, on the computer? What did you do? That's exactly what we did. Whoa. That's exactly what we did. And we had one person that bought the whole 800 for themselves. Really? Yeah. How many dogs they have? <laughs> oh my gosh. Their, their customers had the dogs. Oh, I see. You sell to supplier who sell. Maybe that is what I need to find a big restaurant who wants to buy all the 400 chapati makers off me. That's it. It's easier to sell at once. Um, you know, sell 400 things to one person than selling one person for, you know, selling it 400 different times. I Much like easier. it. I like it, darling. We will talk offline and let me come to your place next time I'm in Sydney. I come cook for your family beautiful butter chicken because I need to have celebrity people like you on my Rani Patak's cooking show, okay? Oh, that'd be amazing. But my, my two young sons, they're three and they're two. They're very hungry. They need to eat lots. Oh, I bring extra chicken. Don't you worry. I put in my suitcase. Okay, I, I carry. Don't worry about that. They will not go starving around me. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. Perfect. Listen, darling, Asha has more questions for you. So lovely talking to you. Until we chat again, I know the pleasure has been all yours. Namaste, darling, okay? See you soon. Okay, Rob, sorry. She's always bursting with these questions and I never quite know what she's going to say. So I hope she wasn't at any, you know, too risky or too forward. She's hilarious. <laughs> oh, she keeps me on my toes. So, Rob, as we finish the interview today, you know, it's been awesome chatting to you and you've got some great strategies. You're a gorgeous person and, um, you know, I value the friendship we have uh, in business as well as, as privately. And I would just love to ask you if you could sit back and tell your younger self something now that you, you're doing what you're doing in business, you've got a gorgeous family and uh, you help so many people. If you could go back and tell you something, your younger self something inspirational, what, would, what do you think it would be? Um, it'd be to take more risks and to, to go harder at things. Yeah, I feel that you know, life's so short and by being a bit timid and you know, unwilling to take risks, um, I could accelerate things a lot faster and, and achieve more things, impact more people and, yeah, mm. make make the world a better place. Yeah. And it takes, you know, it takes a bit of bravery, doesn't it, and courage. 
Yes, it does. And I guess it's that fear of, as everyone talks about, the fear of failure or the fear of judgment. And, and I would imagine someone that's pushing through all the boundaries like you are and getting the exposure in Huffington Post and your TV show and all the rest of it, the polarity, and I guess I talk to a lot of business owners and some of them, my clients in uh, my mentoring program, that they, they worry about stepping into that spotlight because when they step in there, more people will see them. They're starting to get people attack them and say things like, who do you think you are? And you can't do that. You're not successful. Have you had things like that happen to you? And if so, how do you deal with those comments? Yeah, look, it happens all the time. And uh, so the, the first time that it happens, it hurts a lot. Um, you know, just because we all like to be, we all like to think that we're good people and we don't, mm. you know, we like to do the right thing. And, um, you know, as, as I put myself more and more out there, it, it happens more and more. And the thing is, it's if you think about it logically, it's only a very, very small percentage that do it. So, you know, I've got over 10,000 people now um, who have either downloaded my book or, you know, come to one of my webinars or all those kind of things. And I've had like a handful of people who, who whinge and complain and, and moan and gripe. So mm. if we look at the percentages like 0.01% or mm. something like that, and you know, if that continues over the time, well, if I've got a million, then that might be like 100 or 200 people who aren't happy. But that means that there's 999,800 mm. who love it. So, you know, mm. it's, um, it's one of those things where over time, like, you just become more immune to it. And because it's really about them. It's not about you. Like, yes. I, you know, I and you and most of your clients go out into the world and do the right thing. We yes. just really try and help people. Hmm. And, and, so, and it is. You're right. There's some people out there. Yeah, that's true. And sometimes it is them. And I guess the, the thing that I say to my clients, and I get attacked as, as you do, you know, every so often there's someone who says, oh, you're a phony, you're a fake, you're a this, you're a that. And you say you're opening an orphanage, but yet you're driving a nice car. And I guess their mindset is you can't have both. But an abundant thinker says it's not relevant. The car I drive, my orphanage will still open. So it's just going, well, that's their stuff. But I guess my clients kind of go, should I look at it, make sure that there's no truth in it? And I think there is something in that as well, just to stop for a moment and say, oh, have my feet left the ground? Have I forgotten to, you know, to stay, oh, sorry, to stay planted? Have I forgotten that? And I guess take that quick moment of reflection. But as you said, if you've got, you know, a huge percentage of people and this is a small minority that are saying that, you just have to go, that's their stuff and just cut it and move on. So that leads me to my final question is, what what would you say is uh, important is who you surround yourself with, be it a mentor or in a circle of people outside of your family, maybe business people. Do you have those people that you go to as a sounding board and and a support a support network? Yeah, I definitely do all mm. the time. So I generally try and um, only seek advice from people who are further up the chain than I am, okay. because what I find is that. Um, you know, say for example, like we had, we get a really negative comment, right? And then it's like, oh, far out. What are we going to do? Mm. Well, if I went to someone who's never experienced that before, mm. said, what would you think the next step should be? Then they'd probably freak out. They go, oh my god, you know, mm. like what's going on? <laughs> and then if you go to someone that's experienced that thousands and thousands of times, like what are you worried about? Just yeah. shut up and keep doing. <laughs> go about your day. Yeah. And just, why are they even, why are you even paying any attention to that? Why yeah. are you even calling about this? Yeah. And so that's, you know, that, that's the kind of people you want to be hanging around. Yes. 
Yeah, that's very true. So, you know, and a lot of people on our show have said they all have mentors and, and we've had some awesome people like yourself at, at quite big levels in their business um, from all over the world and they still have mentors. Some of them they pay, some of them are just great friends that are just happy, uh, have bigger businesses and bigger bigger visions just to guide them. So it is important that we all plug into someone uh, and have a few people that we can connect to because the journey is, it is what it is and it is up and down. So, uh, um, yeah, no, I think and actually by saying that, it's not just necessarily someone who's financially in, um, mm. ahead of where I am. Like it could be emotionally or spiritually yes. or like whatever that area is. Mm. Um, it's, you know, there's always people who are a few steps down the path further than you who you can look up yeah. to and, and get advice from and people are very happy to help. They are, definitely, and uh, it's a holistic journey. So, Rob, I know there's going to be loads of people who want to find out more about you and what you do and how they can connect and get your book and so on. What's the best place that they can find all of that information out? Yeah, the best place is feedastarvingcrowd.com. So that includes all our contact information, um, all the information about our company. You can get the book there. It's, it's actually um, a free copy. All you have to do is just pay for the shipping. So that's, that's a great deal we've got on at the moment. And, yeah, feedastarvingcrowd.com. Fantastic. Rob, look, thank you so much for giving up time uh, out of your busy day. I know how busy you are and really appreciate it. Uh, so thank you very much for being on our show and hopefully we'll catch up with you again in the future and find out how else you're feeding your starving crowd. Thanks for having me. Bye for now. We know you will want to join in on the live conversation about today's incredible show. So come on over to our Facebook page, why Woman Podcast Show and let's chat. Listen to an episode you've missed by visiting shamore.com.au. Until next time, remember, find and live your why today. It's your life, your purpose.